I think I'll begin over here. You'll notice that the candle in front and my vestment are matching. Uh, three of the candles are purple and one of them is pink. It's rose. Uh, one of my young priests uh, said that he didn't like to wear this vestment on the, because people thought it was pink. And he says, he says, Jesus did not pink from the dead. He rose from the dead. So this, we should call this rose. Now what it is, is a, uh, it's supposed to be kind of a, a mellower version of the purple candles. Because the mood of Advent, which is a mood of uh, deep pondering and reflection, uh, changes this week. And this week we refer to uh, our Sunday liturgy as a liturgy of Gaudete Sunday. Gaudete is a Latin verb, and it's really a command. And Gaudete is the order to rejoice. And it comes from a phrase from St. Paul's letter to the Philippians. The people in Philippi were St. Paul's favorite Christian community that he founded. He often wrote very personal letters to them. And one of the things he said in the letter to the Philippians is the theme of the Sunday. He said, I'm going to quote it here, it says, he said, Gaudete, of course he was speaking Greek, not Latin, but Gaudete means rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. Again I say it, rejoice, for the Lord is near. So he's commanding us, as he commanded the community in Philippi, to rejoice. Now what's strange about this is that St. Paul wrote the letter to the Philippians from prison. He was in jail for preaching the gospel. And there was a good chance that he would be executed. But even in the midst of that, he had this sense that to be a Christian, to be a disciple of Jesus, requires that we rejoice uh, and not be sad that it would be a characteristic of what it means to be a Christian, to be joyful people. So the question I ask you today, whether you're wearing rose or purple or black or whatever, are you joyful? Because to be joyful is actually a decision. I think we all know people who have pretty miserable lives that are still somewhat joyful, if not very joyful. And the reason for that is they've chosen to see life with those kind of eyes. Despite what's going on in their lives, they choose to rejoice and be glad because they're confident that the Lord God is near. And if you believe that, then it takes away the edge of anxiety in your lives. Because the Lord is here, near, and he loves us. He's our God, and he's our Father who cares for us, even in our most serious need. Our readings today are built around this notion of rejoicing. The first reading is from the prophet Isaiah, who is writing to the Jewish community during their Babylonian captivity. They're in jail, the whole country has been taken as exiles to a foreign land, from the Holy Land to Babylon. 
and they were in exile for 50 years, wondering if they'd ever be rescued by God. And today's reading is a passage from the prophet Isaiah. A prophet is one who speaks for God, where he promises the Jewish people in exile that they would be saved. I'm going to read a bit of this letter to you again. Say to those whose hearts are frightened, Be strong, fear not. Here is your God. He comes with vindication. He comes to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened, the ears of the deaf be cleared, then will the lame leap like a stag, a stag is a deer, then the tongues of the mute will sing because God is coming into their lives. Now, it didn't happen right away. It took 50 years for this promise of God to be fulfilled. But it was, and the Jewish people returned to the, to the uh, promised land. Which brings us to today's second reading, which is a reading from the letter of James in the New Testament. And it's a letter about patience. Because one of the problems that you and I have is that we're not patient. We're not patient with ourselves. We're certainly not patient with other people who irritate us, right? And we're not patient with God. We want God to answer the snap of our fingers to respond when we want him to respond in the exact way we want him to respond. And to that attitude, in this passage from James, four times James asks the Christian community to be patient. Listen to his words. Be patient, brothers and sisters, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient with it until it receives the early and late rains. You know, the, the farmers generally would plant, in, in, they have a different kind of weather in the Holy Land than we do, and they would plant what we would consider the first part of the year. And the early rains would come in April and May, and the later rains would come in October and November, and the crops would grow. But the farmer can't plant the seed in February and say, now, I want you to sprout immediately and we'll have the harvest tomorrow. A good farmer is someone who waits patiently. But if you wait patiently, uh, the crops will be abundant. He goes on to say, make, make your hearts firm because the Lord's coming is at hand. Take as an example of hardship and patience the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. He was speaking about someone like Isaiah who promised that God would rescue the people, but it took 50 years before it, it happened. So you and I are supposed to rejoice in the Lord, even if our lives seem to be uh, a mess or there's not great reason to be re rejoicing because we know if we're patient God will be faithful to his promises to us. 
Which brings us to today's gospel passage from the Gospel of St. Matthew. And in this reading, there's also someone in prison. I mentioned that Paul was in prison for the preaching of the gospel. The Jewish people were in exile in Babylon. And in this particular case, John the Baptist is in jail. And the reason he's in jail is because he told the king that it wasn't right for the king to be living with his brother's wife. So he was living in an adulterous relationship with someone else's wife, and the wife got angry and told the king to do something about it, so he put John the Baptist in jail. Now, you might remember that John is the forerunner of Jesus. He's the one who who prophesied that Jesus was the Messiah. He was the one who told uh, the uh, early apostles, there's a Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Follow him. I'm not worthy to unleash his sandal strap. I'm not the Messiah. Follow him. So he was, he was also, if you might remember, the cousin of Jesus. His mother was Elizabeth, who was Mary's cousin. But he's in jail for preaching the truth in a courageous kind of way. So it looks like he's getting nervous about being in jail. I think he was probably afraid. And he had reason to be afraid, be afraid because not long after this he was beheaded because of what he had said to the king and said about the king's uh, concubine. So it says here, When John the Baptist heard in prison of the works of Jesus, he sent his disciples to Jesus with this question. Are you the one who is to come, like I expected, or are we to look for another? You can hear the kind of the, the doubt in his voice. So even the saints had doubt sometimes, you know. Doubt doesn't mean a lack of faith. It means a struggle to be faithful, you know. And he was struggling in very difficult circumstances to believe that God would take care of him. And in response to this question, Jesus quotes the first reading we had today from the book of the prophet Isaiah, where Isaiah promised that eventually, when God would save his people, there were characteristics of the Messiah who would come to save them. And this is what Jesus says. Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind regain their sight, The lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have the good news proclaimed to them. Those were all signs of the coming of the Messiah prophesied by the prophet Isaiah. So Jesus was claiming to be the promised Messiah of God. Now, after the, the prophets, after the disciples of John went back to, to give him this message from Jesus, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. And this, this is an interesting passage. It doesn't really have much to do with what I want to talk about, but I think it's important for you to understand the scriptures. He said to the crowd about John, What did you go out to the desert to see? Why did you go out to hear him preach? Did you expect to see a reed swayed by the wind? And what he's saying there, were you expecting to see someone who changes his opinion? You know, one day he's on this side and the other day he's on the other side. You know, he kind of goes where the wind blows, changes. He said, no, that's not what you went out to see. 
Then what did you go out to see? Someone dressed in fine clothing? Someone dressed like a prince or a king? You know, he wore camel hair and he ate locusts, according to the scriptures. John the Baptist did. No, those who, who wear fine clothing are in royal palaces. And what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written in Scripture. Behold, I am sending my messenger ahead of you. He will prepare your way before you. He's quoting passages from the Old Testament about John the Baptist. A man, I say to you, among those born of women, there has been none greater than John the Baptist. Yet, the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. The reason John was attractive to people is because he spoke the truth with courage. That's what they went out to see. They went out to hear somebody who changed their mind or someone who was using his popularity to enrich himself and dress up fine. They went to him because he was a true prophet, a true spokesperson of God. And, and Jesus gives him the greatest compliment. He's, of all the people born of women, he's the greatest. And then he goes on to say something very mysterious. He says, but the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And guess who that is? That's us, because we are disciples of Jesus. You know, John was the Old Testament. He was the conclusion of the Old Testament. Jesus issued a new covenant in his blood on the cross. And Jesus is saying that the covenant in his blood is more significant than anything else that went before. And all of us who are blessed by that covenant are great in God's eyes. Now, why does the church want us to rejoice? I quote St. Paul to you again. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say it, rejoice. The Lord is near. We are not preparing during Advent for the coming of Santa Claus. You know, Santa Claus is all about joy, right? And presence, and <clears throat> if you watch the commercials, he's also about Coca-Cola, I think. <laughs> he has a lot of Coca-Cola commercials, you know. Um, but that's not what Jesus is about. The, the joy that we rejoice in is not those kind of things at all. It's a joy of knowing we have a right relationship with God, which leads us into a right relationship with our neighbor. And that's something to rejoice about. Now, you and I know from our personal experience that we need to be saved. How many of you had a fight on the way to church this evening? Must be a bunch of saints here. I expected at least the family's members to raise their hands, you know. Oh, there's the deacon had a fight, and he came by himself. There's something, we can look at our lives today. There's something in your life today that proves you need to be saved. You know, a lustful thought, an inconsiderate voice, harshness in the way you treat your children or your parents or your friends, being lazy, 
not getting up as early as you wanted to, not studying for your exams. You know, there's something about each one of us here, including myself, that should convince us that we need to be saved. And what should make us rejoice is the fact that we have a Savior. And we know his name is Jesus the Lord. And that's the only real reason for ever rejoicing. There are many times in my life when I've said to Jesus in prayer, are you the one who is to come or should I look for another? You know. Um, Because he doesn't do it in the way I want him to or with the timeline that I've given him. You know. He hasn't done my will. And I want him to. But I also know that after 75 years of life, when I look back over my life, there hasn't been a time when the Lord hasn't answered my prayer in a way that's better for me than I wanted or expected. And that's the reason why I can join confidently St. Paul in that passage from Philippians and say to you, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say it, rejoice. And there's reason for that. Because the Lord is near to you. He loves you very, very much. Now, in another, what is it, 10 days? Today is the 15th, I think, isn't it? So another 10 days, we celebrate Christmas. And it's important for us to try to use the time between now and then to prepare for the real meaning of Christmas, which is uh, God's embracing the world. You know, God embraced our human nature by becoming one of us on that first Christmas day. And that's something for us to really rejoice in. So don't get distracted by all the noise around you and the busyness of final exams or buying presents in in such a way that you miss uh, what the Advent season is all about. May the Lord bring to completion the good things he stirs up in our hearts through these scripture readings this evening.